What is a Basenji? What is a Hemingway cat? A little hint, my cat Ginger Snap is a Hemingway cat. Welcome to Mouthful. I'm Lori Lynn Barker. Mouthful is a podcast about food, culture, and the makers in the world. And today I'm talking about cats and dogs with Dr. Gary Weitzman with the San Diego Humane Society. Mouthful is sponsored by CCF Documentation. Let CCF develop your e-learning or instructional video training. From training assessment to course creation and LMS administration, CCF is your one-stop training resource. Check them out at ccfdocumentation.com. National Geographic Kids has teamed up with Dr. Gary Weisman. He is the president and CEO of the San Diego Humane Society. Together they created the Cat Breed Guide and the Dog Breed Guide. Each book provides a complete reference to all the breeds. Here is Dr. Gary Weitzman. Dr. Gary, tell me a little bit about you. How did you get where you are today? Were you always into animals? How did you get to where you are today? Oh boy, yeah. Um, I'd pretty much say I was always into animals. I grew up um, without. Well, I grew up in a family that actually we didn't have a history of animals. So really? I don't know where what what, what wires got crossed um, in my development. <laughs> but by the time I was like four years old, I was really pretty much obsessed with animals. Did the whole James Harriet thing. Read all the books. <laughs> I think by the time I was six or seven, I don't know. When when can you read? When you're five years old or six years old? Right. Even think about the books that you read as a little kid. Or that was read to you, yeah. like Soft Kitty, or think about all those. So yeah, yeah. I mean, animals were really important to me. So I, my parents would never let me have a dog. I was 16 before I had my first dog. So instead of that, from the time I was like seven years old, I had uh, at one point. Don't tell anybody, but I, I think we are telling someone. I think I had 60 or 70 gerbils, oh, uh, probably a dozen <laughs> hamsters, uh, six or seven guinea pigs, parakeets, iguanas. Uh, it just, I had a menagerie. So finally, I think I wore my folks down and they said, okay, let's go to the shelter. We'll get a dog. So that was really, I mean, that was when everything came together for me. I, I really just can't even imagine living without dogs and cats at this point. I'm the same way. I grew up in a family that we could only have one dog, only one dog. Oh. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so then okay. like all, the, all of us kids grew up and I have, four, I have two dogs, two cats. My brother has two dogs, two cats. And so oh, we just kind of went yeah. overboard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you have to you compensate. But can you imagine not having them? It just would not be the same on Earth without them. Oh, I know. I absolutely adore my animals. How did you become involved with the San Diego Humane Society? Well, I was a practicing veterinarian for quite a few years. I had uh, practices in uh, Massachusetts, where I grew up, um, then out in California, up in San Francisco. Um, then I ended up back on the East Coast and went from private practice to shelter medicine and became the shelter director at the Washington Animal Rescue League in D.C. And then came out here to San Diego about seven years ago to um, run this shelter here in San Diego, which is um, a pretty big enterprise. And we're hoping to make it smaller by having fewer and fewer home 
homeless animals over the next decade or so, if we do our jobs right. But um, it was really um, uh, love at first sight coming into shelter work because it was everything I ever wanted to do with animals and didn't even know that it was possible to do it until I was already a vet. But it's really, it's, it's worked out okay. I'm, it's, it's pretty nice out here. And you have done some amazing things with the Humane Society. You've actually like lowered numbers of animals going out. Oh, how do I put animals. this? Yeah. Uh, you've hired, yeah, you yeah. have more adoptable animals. We, well, we actually eliminated all euthanasia of healthy and treatable animals. So that basically means any animal that, that can get into a home because doesn't have the health issues that would prevent that or aggression issues will make sure it gets into a home. So we um, here in San Diego became the largest city in the country to have zero euthanasia of adoptable animals, which is the most important thing. We want to make sure that every single animal that's in a shelter and, you know, out in, in Colorado, there's some really, really progressive practices for animals. But um, same thing here in, in San Diego. We want to make sure any animal that can get into a home makes it into that home and uh, that we can do everything possible to, to help them along to get there. Part of it is how wonderful people are, both in Colorado and in Southern California, where families want animals. And it's just, um, that's the key. It has to be a community effort. Do you transfer animals between shelters? Like you find a shelter that sure. the animals aren't being adopted as quickly absolutely. and then you trans yeah. transfer them to yours? Yeah, absolutely. And that's actually a critical need in the United States. Um, and I know that happens in Colorado quite frequently as well. But there are areas of the country where there are a lot of homeless animals, but there aren't a lot of adopters. And then there's the reverse. So often we have animals that come from the deep south on, you know, southeast part of the United States that actually there are a lot of them, a lot of puppies, and we just got to get them into homes. There's cats everywhere. So cats are a different story, and there's some transport of cats, you know, between shelters. But mostly, sadly, most shelters have have lots of cats on their own without transporting. But the dog situation, it, there's critical need for um, areas to have more opportunities for those dogs and puppies to get into homes, and that's where transport comes in so, so, is so important. Happens a lot in Colorado, happens a lot here in California. Um, and I don't know, it's, it takes like a village, right? You know, so it's all of us together. Animals don't care what part of the country they're from. They just need to find homes. So we got to do it together by shelters working with each other. And I know there's a lot of programs out there now that will go out and basically take care of cat colonies. So they go out and they vaccinate them, they spay and neuter them, they feed them, they set up mm -hmm. a colony to help in combating overpopulation in cats. Yeah, that's actually where our biggest source of animals and animal shelters comes from. Really, across the country, it's the number of cats and kittens. And most of them are from colonies of cats or community cats that haven't been vaccinated and haven't been obviously spayed and neutered or they wouldn't have kittens. So that's where most of our kittens are coming from, and that's what's really increasing the number of animals that end up in shelters throughout the United States, anywhere from 2.7 to 3.5 million animals a year. So the, those colonies, the caretakers in those colonies are absolute saints and saviors because they're out there every day in whatever weather feeding and trying to take care of those cats. They can't touch those cats because they're, they are wild, but they can take care of them and they often will trap them, which is a really difficult thing to do emotionally for both us and the cat, get them into shelters or into uh, vets that have programs to spay and neuter them. 
and vaccinate them and usually a little bit of an ear tip so we know we don't have to do it again another time and then get those cats back out to those colonies. And we know that's the best way to control the numbers in the colonies and it's the most humane way to take care of those cats. In Colorado, a lot of the shelters have what they call barn cat programs. So they will take the feral cats and they will bring them in, but they will adopt them out to ranchers and farmers so the cats can, you know, take care of the barns. So we've got those kind of programs going on here. Yeah, I love that. That's so fantastic. Because there are cats that just simply aren't going to stay in a house. And there are cats that may not be well socialized. They may not be even necessarily feral, but they just may not be well socialized. And then, of course, as you mentioned, there are the feral cats. And we don't want to euthanize those cats. We want to get them into um, humane um, lives, you know, as much as possible. So rather than euthanize them, getting them to ranches and to farms and barns, it's, um, it's really a, a great um, solution for these cats. And do you do a lot of work with Project Wildlife, or do you go out and do a lot of wildlife rescue? We do. Um, here at San Diego Humane, we take care of about 40,000 companion animals and about 10 to 12,000, maybe even a little more, uh, wild animals. So our wildlife program is called Project Wildlife. So we are out there daily and we have some wonderful wonderful volunteers who do rehab in their homes can you imagine i mean their whole lives end up being really taking care of wildlife uh, right. from baby skunks to hawks and owls and uh ducklings and it's you know it's all of us pitching in together to make the world a better place by taking care of these animals uh, but yeah it's dogs and cats and wildlife and it's um really what makes this such a great field to be in that we can be taking care of these animals and taking care of people that care about them. We have a place here in Denver called the Greenwood Wildlife Rehabilitation Center, and I've taken my share of wildlife there too. So we yeah. do we do yeah. have it here in Colorado. There's another great app out there, and I don't know if it's come to California yet, called Animal Help Now, and it's just on your oh, phone, no. hmm. and you uh, will be driving along, and say you see an injured hawk and you stop, and you put in the information, and it will show you the closest place that you can take that hawk. It also with domesticated oh, animals, too. It, animal it, Help Now, that's actually good to know. Yeah, it's Animal Help Now, and I think they're in Texas, but I, I know they're here because it was created here. And that's the most tragic thing. If somebody sees an injured or an abandoned or orphaned wild animal, first of all, sometimes you don't even want to touch the animal because it may not really be orphaned, like like bunnies. Mm-hmm. Bunnies will be left by their mother all day, and you'll find a whole nest of bunnies in your yard, so be careful when you're mowing like that grass. And the bunnies are fine. Mom's over by the bushes watching. Right. So don't pick up all those bunnies and bring them in. <laughs> right. It's really good to get some information because you're just splitting up families by doing that. But the tragedy is if someone does find a hernia, animal and there's nowhere to take them. I love hearing about apps like this and ways that we can actually all pitch in to take care of them. Well, the reason I'm ha- I have you on today is that you've, you've teamed up with National Geographic Kids and you have authored a couple of books. And one of them is Identifying Dog Breeds and one of them is Identifying Cat Breeds. What are the name of those books? Yeah, really, really um, complex names. The Dog Breed Guide and the Cat Breed Guide. So I was close. <laughs> this is, yes. I've been really lucky because um, I actually uh, met up with uh, National Geographic about 2010, 2011, and I think these are my fifth and sixth 
books with them. I did a couple books with them back in 2013 and 14 called um, How to Speak Dog and How to Speak Cat. And those were also children's books to help kids start to learn how to read body language in dogs and cats. And then they came out uh, to me last year or the year before, I guess it was, and asked, do you want to get involved with the dog and cat breed guide? And my tail wagged because I grew up with the Purina guide. Do you remember that? It was just one very small poster uh-huh. of like 50 dogs. And you go and into the vet's office and it would be on the wall. Is that yeah, the one yeah, you're thinking you're right, of? Exactly. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. And there's really not much out there that you, you can hold in your hand. And this is kind of a, not quite a coffee table book. It's it's manageable, but it's a hardcover. But that Purina guide, it was very small. And then to learn that there are more than 350 dog breeds, uh, half of which I got to admit, I've been working with dogs for 30 years, and <laughs> I had no idea about these breeds. <laughs> I mean, the the Charlotte's Wolf Dog, I've never I heard, of that heard of that before, as well as. Probably 200 other dogs, <laughs> the, the Bouvier. We all know the Bouvier de Flanders, but yes, we the, do. You know, there's a Bouvier des Ardennes. I, did I didn't not know, know that. that. Or the Chapindeau. Those are all herding dogs, and wow. I'd never heard of any of those. So it was kind of fun to actually get to do um, some of this and, and work with um, my teammate on, on the book. So uh, that's TJ Ressler, who did a lot of the research. And uh, it's really it's fascinating, and it's it's good for kids, but it's really it's it's readable for adults. And, and even me, as a as a 30-year, you know, veteran uh, veterinarian, I actually learned a ton from just doing these books. Well, I find it amusing. And on the cover of the book, you have a Basenji. I, you, I'm a former yeah. Basenji owner, not because I didn't like them. They just passed away, and I inherited an Australian Shepherd. So it's not that I oh, don't okay. like I love Basenjis. And so I'm sitting there reading them, and my husband always used to kid around with me about our Basenjis. They're like, God, they are, they're a dog. They're just a dog. You can just see the wild in their eyes sometimes. And if you go further know, into I the know. book, it talks about primal breeds, and there's the Basenji. Yeah. <laughs> there's the Basenji. I know, it, I know. And you didn't have to be told that. But right, right. Explain what a primal breed is. Well, you know, dogs we we know are not from wolves directly. And so that's a misconception that everybody thinks is truth. They're from ancient wolves. And our current wolves are also from ancient wolves, but they diverged. Oh, okay. So the primal breeds are the ones that actually are closer to that divergence. So I don't know if you actually would equate primal with maybe crazy, if that's what you want to <laughs> say about the Basenji. But they are further. Um, they're like an F1 variant. Well, they're actually way farther than one. But, you know, remember all of our Mendelian genetics and how those branches, um, you know, spin off. Mm -hmm. They're much closer to the the main stock of where the ancient wolf was. So they're primal. They're from they're one of the uh, one of the originals. And I don't know if you're familiar with the Basenji breed or Basenji owners. The Basenji breed in America actually come from the Basenji line in Africa. And in Africa, they only allow so many Basenjis out. And so the oh, really? yeah, and so the creme la de creme of Basenji is to see how much African lineage they have. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because okay. they're very protective about their Basenjis in Africa because they use them to hunt, wow. and so that's that's yeah, the fun fact uh, about Basenji. <laughs> so, amazing. That, well, you know more about Basenjis than I do. You can now be the Basenji expert, <laughs> and it sounds like you have a new one in your future. I, <laughs> you I do want one. That. They're the sweetest animals. Oh, they're wonderful. But. If you don't know that kind of wild dog, not wild like they're going to bite you and attack you, you know, but just that kind of yeah. wild in them, then you're not going to want a Basenji. 
you want an Australian shepherd no. who will listen to you and does five million tricks and understands like 150 words. That's the kind of dog you want. You don't want a Basenji. Yeah, yeah. And that would be a Border Collie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The other end of the spectrum. Oh. Yeah, not to cast aspersions on Basenji's intelligence at all, of course. Well, and I think but, everybody um, has yeah. their favorites. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. I mean, I really, my entire life wanted a German Shepherd, and I finally got one. Mm-hmm. And he was absolutely the worst dog I've ever had in my entire <laughs> life. But I loved every second I had with him and only lost him a few months ago, and I'll never regret cover from that. Right. But he was a terrible, terrible dog. He yelled at me nonstop. <laughs> he yelled at everybody else. He bit people. Uh, yeah. He just was a, he was a terrible, terrible dog, but I fell in love. And that's the nice thing about our dogs and cats is we get to pick a family member that we're going to live with for hopefully 15 years at least. You don't get to do that with your family usually. Well, your your spouse, perhaps. But besides (laughs) that, your family is your family. That's why I think this is so – it's good to have a a way to draw kids into uh, an entire world of animals and then culminate that, bring them to the animal shelter, let them fall in love, and just don't go with the intention to necessarily adopt the first time, but just go to look around and start to get your kids indoctrinated into the entire our world that we find so magical about living with animals. Well, I'm sure this helps in your line of work also, this breed guide, because I know when you intake an animal, you've kind of got to figure out what kind of dog it is. So I'm sure this is a nice guide to have in your field. Well, you know, the funny thing is most of the information we have in our field now is that we are terrible at actually (laughs) determining dog breeds in animal shelters throughout the United States. Absolutely terrible. There's even a movement now to not list any breed guests on a dog's card Mm -hmm. in the shelter. Cats are probably a little bit easier with the domestic short hair, domestic long hair. But with dogs, I think there was actually a genetics testing um, sample done as well as just shelter workers' guesses on what those animals were and shelter workers are equivalent to you know this human population so we just don't identify dogs very well because there's so much inside of the mixed dogs now and i think that's also where some of their health can come from you know they're just hybrid vigor because they have more than one breed in them and you don't have to settle for one when you can get a wonderful mix that has uh three or four different ones that you like maybe even some basenji (laughs) exactly what is your favorite breed i I is it the german shepherd yeah, you know, I love dogs. Um, yeah, I, do I love Ricky Gervais' um, interviews about dogs because he loves dogs too. And mm-hmm. he said in one of his interviews, and I agree with him, my favorite dog is the last dog I just saw because <laughs> I love dogs. I yeah. mean, and I feel the same way. Isn't that a great, great quote? Mm-hmm. I love dogs just seeing them now. I love my dogs the most. Whatever they are, <laughs> I'm going to love my dogs the most. So I'm just sorry, everybody else, but I, I do love my dogs. Hopefully you love your dogs and your kids oh. more than other people's dogs and kids yeah. and cats. But um, just going back to, like, if I had a, to pick a breed that I really, really connected with, it would be the German Shepherd. Oh. I wanted one my whole life. I fell in love with my terrible, terrible dog, <laughs> and I've always wanted a German Shepherd. They're just something that I'm drawn to, like like you are to the, to the primitive breeds. Right. Or n- now your next dog, your, your Australian Shepherd. And, um, you know, the more work you do with the dog, the more connection you have with them. And I think they open up parts of our brains and our hearts that we don't have open normally by other interactions. Just because I don't think you can ever have your guard down except with an animal. Right. And, um 
I, I don't know what that says about my feelings about people, but <laughs> I think it's really uh, it's really important this connection that we have with our animals. The more I know people, the more <laughs> I like my dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it exactly. That's my saying. <laughs> that is definitely it. You also have a companion book to this, and it's the Cat Breed Guide, and I kind of want to touch on that before sure. I let you go. Tell us a little bit about that, because I've got some questions. Yeah, cat- I've got an unusual cat in my house right now, so oh, okay. <laughs> I like unusual okay, animals, that, that evidently. Is... <laughs> you do. I do. And that is a sentence I never hear. My cat is unusual. <laughs> uh, that happens a lot. But she's adorable. We don't understand cats as well. Of course, they, of course she is. <laughs> cats are really fascinating. So dogs have been with us for twenty to 30,000 years, and cats maybe about half of that, maybe ten to 12,000 years, originally from ancient Egypt, we think, and then moved across to different continents um, through boats and fishermen and came across on the, the Mayflower uh, with uh, the pilgrims um, back when the Mayflower happened, which I'm going to say that because I'm probably not going to remember the date. But, um, <laughs> Cats are really, really amazing, amazing members of our families. And so the book for cats, the beauty of that is that we see nine out of ten cats as a domestic short hair cat. So not an exotic, quote-unquote, breed at all, but something that we're familiar with. You know, the tortoiseshell, uh, tabbies, uh, tigers, you know, an occasional Siamese. But what about the toiger? Or what about the calmane? These are, these are cats that, you know, you never even hear about. Probably most of us aren't going to have those cats, but right. if you go to a good breeder and you fall in love with a Thai cat, you may find a Calmanet breeder. And wouldn't it be something to have that a, a beautiful white cat in your house with a blue eye and a gold eye? Wow. And that's what they're known for. They're like they're like walking jewels. So <laughs> those are I think they're they're just they're amazing animals. And just to see the the, the richness of what you could actually um, experience with cats is was really the fun of the book. Well, what I have in my house is I have a cat that I uh, was rescued when she was a kitten and she was feral. So she she was two months old. That's why I kind of know about the feral communities is because a friend of mine works with an organization out here. And she contacted me after my, my cat. I had this cat. I can't even tell you. His name was Bob Barker. And I love this cat. I, I mean, this cat, I, I don't know why I took to this certain cat and he passed away. And of course you're like, I'm never getting another cat ever again. And so I was listening to a Jimmy Buffett song about, and stay with me because you'll understand this about uh, Ernest Hemingway. And I said to myself, the only way I'm getting another cat is if it's a polydactyl girl. And so two days later, my friend Susan posts a picture Holly Decker girl up for and I'm like, what? (laughs) Don't you just feel smarter when you're listening to this? I know I do. The free stuff on this site is really, really good. But you'll also love the stuff that comes with your premium membership. Just $4.99 a month because we want it to be accessible to everyone. And let's face it, we spend way more than that on a coffee. And it hardly helps you have a fabulous life like we do. Join today at ladieschitchatclub.com. That's ladieschitchatclub.com. We're going to make your life better. So we'd really appreciate the help. Oh, and there are no commercial breaks. Let's get back to what we were doing now. So explain to me. Yeah. Explain to people what a polydactyl is. Polydactyl has many toes. Um, You know, they have more than the the four in the front. And uh, it can be as many. I think the winner is a cat that had 10 toes on both front feet. Wow. That's a lot. Yes. That's a lot of nail trims. Yeah. And they look, and they can all, they're very functional. 
I know from a yeah. fact. They're they're functional. Yeah. She's got six and seven. Absolutely. Oh, she does. Oh, that's yeah. a lot. Yeah, she's wow. got six okay. and then any, seven any on, the on the other. back? No, which I found unusual. What causes it's, it's that? A, it's a gene. It's oh, a really? gene. Uh, there's a polydactyl gene that passes down, and it's a recessive gene. But we see, for a recessive gene, we see quite a lot of polydactyl cats out there. And people love them, and lots of people look for a polydactyl like you did yourself. Is she a good girl? She, she's, she's interesting because she was feral, and she was found oh. when she was two months old. We kind of had to teach her how to socialize. Now, we have an old, grumpy old man in our house, and that's not my husband. It's a cat. <laughs> but okay, they, right. um, And he doesn't, he didn't take to her. He doesn't bully her. He just does not like yeah. her, and he stays away from her. And he tried, and then he went, nah, I'm not in the mood. I'm too old. I'm just going to sit in the corner and yell. Um, no, he doesn't yell. Yeah. He's just, we, he just is an old, he's an old cat. So we kind of had to socialize her and teach her how to be a cat. And one of the things is I have two dogs in the house. And so she's now kind of taking on dog tendencies because they like her. They, oh, you know, really? Yeah. Oh, that's, a, that's amazing. And that then, is absolutely amazing. The other thing is that kind of worries me is she doesn't purr. But I found out why. Okay. Huh. Do you know why? I, I did no, research because it was bothering me. I'm like, my cat doesn't purr. In the wild, especially in a feral cat, the mothers teach the cat kittens not to purr because it'll bring attention to them, and it's just a defense mechanism so predators don't Oh, that's them. interesting. That's so, very true. And I'm going, just purr. And I went, oh, because my first cat that I still have, he, I think, we think he was a little feral. Somebody threw him out of a car in front of me, and it's a long story, and I picked oh, him up. And, oh. and the vet I took him to actually said he thinks he's a little feral, uh, feral and he didn't purr for a while. But do you know the reason why a polydactyl is identified with Ernest Hemingway? Actually, I know Ernest Hemingway loved cats, but I don't remember why he was identified with polydactyl cats. The, Did he have a lot of them? In the, in the house in Key West, somebody gave yeah. him a polydactyl cat. I think her name was Snowball or something like that. And they say the cats, oh, right. the cats at the house now are descendants from that cat. Oh, and so they're all polydactyls. Yeah, yeah. In fact, a polydactyl cat is called a Hemingway cat. Oh, my gosh. Look at that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> now that you know. Fantastic. All right. <laughs> that is fantastic. I have no that idea why I did. Actually, I, I love that you do, you knew that. I, <laughs> I misspoke. You know, the polydactyl trait, it's dominant, not recessive. That's oh, why we see okay. so much of it. So interesting, though, that Ernest Hemingway, he was an amazing cat lover. Yeah, he was. Have you been to his house? It's, actually, it's really fun to go through. There. There's a lot of cats. I think I have. And they're all polydactyls, I believe. I haven't been to the house. I've been to Key West, but I haven't been to the house. The other trait that she has is she's got the half face so half of her face is the tiger stripe and the other half is black with little tortie shells in it and oh, beautiful i know she's just the most unusual cat and we just look at her and she's got this little personality that we're trying to you know work around she's not mean she's not mad she doesn't yep. like to go outside she wants no. to stay in the house so she's you know she's she's just a cute little cat if people are interested in getting the books the dog breed guide and the cat breed guide, where are they available at? Where everything is, Amazon. Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> and any place that sells books. I, I think there's a, there's a few bookstores left. I know there's a really nice one in Cherry Creek, isn't there? Uh -huh. um, but, yep, yeah, Amazon or nationalgeographic.org, but um, pretty much that, that I mentioned Amazon. I think that's pretty I think much Amazon, yeah. everybody gets their books now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
And if people would like to um, help your organization, how do they do that? Well, um, uh, the website for San Diego Humane is sandiegohumane.org. Or honestly, we just want everybody to spread the word about certainly um, responsible and wonderful cat and dog breeders are out there and support them. Don't get an animal through a pet store, but get one through a local, you know, responsible breeder. But if you can, go to a, a shelter or a rescue first and help us with the three and a half million homeless animals out there. Thank you to Dr. Gary Weitzman. We gave out a lot of websites during this interview. For the San Diego Humane Society, go to sdhumane.org. Or to buy the book, you can look for it on Amazon or nationalgeographic.org. The app I was talking about is called Animal Help Now, and you can get more information at ahnow.org. And don't forget to support one of my favorite organizations, Forgotten Felines. Without Forgotten Felines, I wouldn't have little ginger snap in my life. To contact Forgotten Felines, go to ForgottenFelines.org. Mouthful is brought to you by CCF Documentation. Are you looking to get your new employees trained quicker and with better consistency? Is your technical documentation a mess? Then CCF Documentation is the place for you. Specializing in aligning your technical documentation and employee training, CCF is at the forefront of providing effective and measurable training outcomes, customized to your company culture at a price that will fit your budget. Whether you are looking to create a company-wide e-learning training program or you want to create training content for your customers, CCF Documentation has the solution you need. Contact CCF at ccfdocumentation.com. Okay, we get it. You like fall. You like pumpkin spice. Everything is pumpkin spice. Pumpkin spice Pam. I even went as far as buying pumpkin bacon strips for my dogs. Look for the Ladies Chit Chat Club show pumpkin spice episode on the ladieschitchatclub.com. And look for me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. With Mouthful, I'm Lori Lynn Barker. Stay fresh, cheese bags.